0: Hey guys, welcome back to Mountain Murders. I'm Heather. And I'm Dylan.
1: You doing okay today?
0: I'm doing pretty good. How you doing?
1: All right. we have a threat of, like, nasty weather rolling in.
0: Oh my god, the mountaintops is white.
1: It's true, they let kids out of school, and I was like, what the fuck? It's just kind of raining a little bit, but then apparently the temp is gonna drop, and we may be getting some snow or icy mix.
0: They call it inclemental weather.
1: You know, I'm really ready for summer. I'm not a winter person.
0: I'm ready to sit outside with a fire and all that mess and uh, a crisp cold drink.
1: Do you like winter? Yeah, well, yes and no. I find it very depressing.
0: Yeah. Well, especially these kind of winters we've been having.
1: Well, I I guess I have seasonal depression because I just shut down from about early December till... Early April, I feel like I'm hibernating.
0: Oh my God. Here in Western North Carolina, we've been having these dreary wet winters. You're not even seeing any cool snowfall. Everything's just nasty and mucky.
1: Yeah, it is. But you know what I like to do when it's wintertime? Was that? Warm up with some true crime. Oh,
0: shit. <laughs> okay.
1: I found a very interesting case to cover today. And then it kind of led me to another case. So I'm actually giving you two true crime cases in one.
0: Oh my gosh, two for one. It
1: is a two for one deal just for you guys.
0: Okay, on the true crime aisle in the back. Are you ready? Yeah, let's dive right in.
1: First, we're going to be talking about the murder of Teresa Woods. In the 1980s, stranger danger became a household buzzword. And we know this heavily impacted our generation. I mean, we were kids of the 80s, we grew up during this time. Milk cartons with missing children peered at our generation across the breakfast table. This is before Amber Alerts. The Missing Children's Act was enacted in 1982. The Center for Missing and Exploited Children opened in 1984. The show Stranger Things does a really good job of capturing the hysteria over missing children at that time.
0: Yeah, they do. They nail it.
1: But I remember this pretty vividly. Do you remember this whole idea in the 80s of stranger danger and there was like a kidnapper lurking around every corner
0: yeah i think it was really starting to take root then but um you know we still got to run around till dark and you know go off our parents weren't quite
1: helicopter
0: parents but i guess the idea for
1: yourself sir oh yeah
0: well you know (laughs) as a generation um my mom wasn't hanging over my shoulder but that 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 concept that the the dangerous might be don't get into the a corner.
1: car with a stranger. Well, whole, don't talk yes. to strangers. Right. If someone offers you candy or to that. help find their puppy, <laughs> you tell them no. And I think the Adam Walsh kidnapping and murder cemented it. Really cemented it, yeah. Because oh, yeah. then you had America's Most Wanted and I just remember that being the big story in the news. Yep. That was I don't know, very uh defining, I guess, of the time.
0: Yeah, and I guess you started having the, uh, kind of, with Ann Rule and some of these authors and some of these shows, like America's Most Wanted, you kind of had the rise of true crime, too. You know, kind of helping adults cement these ideas in their minds? I don't well, know. Well, the
1: reason I'm talking about this is because our story takes place in the 1980s. Teresa Ann Woods was born in Montgomery, West Virginia, on April 6, 1972. Her dad owned and operated a grocery store. Her parents divorced when she was quite young. She was a really good student who played saxophone and loved being outdoors. People described her as a friendly child who was happy and pleasant to be around, but shy. She didn't make friends easily, so when her mom and stepdad decided to move to a new town, she had a period of adjustment.
0: Yeah, that sucks. I moved a lot as a kid. Being the new kid sucks. Does it? Yeah.
1: I mean, I've lived in the same place my whole life, except, you know, as an adult, I did move away for about eight years. Right. But now I'm back in my hometown. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we never, I mean, we lived basically in the same house most of my childhood.
0: Right. And and that's good to have those roots, you know, and like start in kindergarten, have friends all the way through high school. Really? Because like
1: I always wanted to move away. I didn't want to be friends with these people.
0: Well, <laughs> in my adult life, I see people that have those friendships and have known of people. Well, I think there's I guess, pros and cons There to is. It. I mean, yeah. I kind of
1: didn't like it at the time. Right. Because I didn't want to be in a small town and I wanted something different and new. But you're right. I mean, my best friend has been my best friend since we were 14. Right. So we're pretty close.
0: So, yeah. But uh,
1: moving, you moved around a lot, and you say it sucks to be the new kid.
0: Yeah, but, you know, I'm a... I'm Were
1: you out... I mean, you're pretty social and outgoing. Were you always like that?
0: Yeah, I was.
1: So it was pretty easy for you to make friends, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, it was. And um, um, I had... Uh, like you said, I'm outgoing. It's not hard for me to make friends. I can... I, I would be that guy who floated around between the different cliques in school. You know, I didn't... You know, and I knew all kinds of different people and stuff like that. But it's still that first day when you go in there and they parade you in front of the class and this is a new kid and everybody's Especially staring if at they, you. Especially
1: if you have one of those teachers that makes you do like an introduction. Oh my God. Like they the, want you to stand in oh, front of the room and talk about yourself.
0: That is because you don't want to do. I remember
1: being in like junior high and that happening and I always felt so bad for the new kid because I was like, that's embarrassing.
0: All you want to do is get a seat in the back, get your bearings, you know, scope things out. And when they do that to you, that is very uh, embarrassing.
1: And that was hard for Teresa. I mean, she'd kind of grown up in the same area until she was a teenager. And I think moving at that age is difficult because when you're 13, 14, 15, your friends are your world. Right. And having to pick up and move to a new school, leave behind all of your friends, your social life that you've built. Right. It's got to be really tough. And, you know, she was very shy, so she didn't really like it right off the bat. In the winter of 1986, Teresa Woods had only lived in Oak Hill, West Virginia, for about six months, having moved there, like I said, with her mother and stepfather. They worked for a company called B&B Convalescent Transport, which provided, like, ambulance services to elderly and infirmed people. They would arrange transportation for people who didn't drive.
0: Oh, wow. You know, that kind of thing. Okay.
1: Especially in rural areas, a lot of times you'll see these almost like ambulance services. Right, Because they don't have public transportation, and the nearest hospital might be some miles away. So they will offer services like this to help get people where they need to be. They rented a trailer that was, I believe, owned by their employer. Well,
0: that's always handy. And
1: it was very close by the office. On February 20th, 1986, 14-year-old... Teresa, who I should mention, she's a very petite girl, maybe 5'3", probably weighed about 90 pounds, redhead, she's a really small girl. She's a student at Collins Middle School and started her day out as usual. Betty, Teresa's mother, drove her and a friend Angel Skaggs to school. Nothing seemed unusual about the day. Teresa attended classes, and like every day after school, she walked less than one mile to the office where her parents worked. So on this particular day, her mother was expecting her to walk home from school. Most days, she'd be accompanied by her friend Angel. However, on this day, Angel was carrying a lot of books. Her brother was homesick, so she had to go collect all of his school books, all of his homework. So she didn't meet Teresa after school. She was taking care of that. So the two didn't meet to walk home.
0: So normally they meet up, head home, BS a little bit. But it just happens
1: to be the one day that that doesn't happen. Oh, my gosh. There was a 7-Eleven store by the school. And I saw a map of this little town. And, you know, it's like the school. And then you walk maybe a block around the corner. There's a 7-Eleven store. And that's where a lot of kids would hang out after class. After school, the kids who would walk home would pop by the store, maybe get a soda, get a snack. Carry on a little bit in the parking lot. To oh, yeah. Chat and then make their way home. It's
0: what the kids do.
1: Yeah. So around three PM, people saw Teresa Woods leaning against a pole outside the store, almost as if she was like waiting for someone, just kind of hanging out. She was wearing her school clothes, jeans, a jean jacket. She had on a purple blouse, gray suede ankle boots. She was carrying a pocketbook.
0: Ooh, that sounds very eighties.
1: Totally the jeans with the jean jacket. Oh yeah. That was the look, man. And the uh, suede, suede ankle, ankle boots. boots.
0: Oh, my God. I
1: had a pair of those when I was a little kid. Me, too. Angel showed up at the office, but Teresa wasn't with her. I believe Angel's parents owned this convalescent company.
0: Oh, so they would literally walk together to where their parents were. Right. Okay. Well,
1: Teresa wasn't with her, and her mom waited several hours hoping that Teresa was going to show up, thinking, okay, well, maybe she's stopped off somewhere, she's bullshitting in the parking lot i mean all the things that you kind of think when your kid's not on time right i know that when you let your daughter go to after school activities you always tell her like don't you be bullshitting no dumb shit (laughs) yeah
0: totally and she's i know dad
1: and when you're supposed to be here you be here and don't you wander off and we give our kids those lectures
0: yeah but my clock is a little shorter I instantly freak out. It might be my That love is true. Them. I
1: know you did the other day.
0: Yes. If I can't get you by your phone or you don't do exactly what you say and we're doing something outside the normal schedule. But yeah, that's just me.
1: I had one of those moments of panic this weekend. Actually, I allowed my daughter, she's 14, to ride with a 17-year-old driver, which what? made me a little nervous. What? Well, we had all been hanging out together and I took the girls to the mall. Oh. And so then I took. Bella and Ivy to Ivy's house. Ivy was going to come spend the night with us. Okay. So I let Ivy drive from her house to our house which is what? Maybe six, seven miles? Yeah. Not that far away. No. But I allowed Bella to go in the house with Ivy. No one was home and then get in the car and drive here. And I was nervous. They live in an apartment building and although this is Ivy's house, I was nervous about letting these two teenage girls go in this apartment alone, (laughs) pack a bag, get in the car and come here. So the whole time I'm like, you text me the minute you leave the house. Yeah. You text me when you get in the car that you're safe. Right. You let me know that everything is okay because I'm so worried about some crazy shit. And it's probably because we listen to so much true crime. <laughs> I, think, I think that's
0: what d- drives
1: us. So Betty, you know, she's not really thinking much about it until, you know, it's starting to get later on in the evening. It's starting to get dark. Still no Teresa. And this is pre-cell phone days. So it's well, yeah. not like you can just pick up the phone and say, where the hell are you? <laughs> Betty called Donald Woods, Teresa's biological father, who closed his store and drove immediately to Oak Hill. He was really nervous when Teresa didn't show up because he knew she was not the kind of kid who would just willingly go do something like this. Just yeah. Not be on time, not tell where she was going to go. They were pretty concerned. She called the police, but like a lot of missing teenagers, police believe Teresa may be a runaway. Oh so from get-go, they're kind of giving her the run around a little bit. However, her parents told police she had not taken any items with her. Nothing was missing from home. She didn't take anything from school. Her locker was normal, right? So it's not like she took all of her shit. Nothing was missing. She'd also been talking very excitedly about her upcoming birthday in April when she was going to be turning 15. They'd promised to get her a color TV set, which apparently she talked about nonstop.
0: Well, that's a big deal back then.
1: So her parents were like, Look, she's not the kind of kid who runs away. She's getting a TV for her birthday. She hasn't and remember, a color TV set and having your own back in the day? Oh, yeah. That was like a big deal.
0: That's like having a phone in your room.
1: That was like getting a new car or something.
0: Yeah, no shit. That's like
1: today's equivalent of kids getting a new car.
0: Yeah, but as we've done many times, or talked about many times, they just laid out all these reasons why she's likely not a damn runaway.
1: Exactly. Donald Woods told authorities that his previous three weekend visits with Teresa had been emotional. He said something was bothering Teresa, but she really wouldn't give him much information. She kept saying she didn't want to return to Oak Hill, and she wanted to change schools. She asked her father if she could move in with him permanently.
0: Oh, gosh. She really didn't
1: want to live in this town and didn't want to go to this school. Her mother had encouraged her to at least finish the school year out at Collins Middle School since she only had a few months left in the school year. You know, and then she would have summer break. That would give her an opportunity maybe to go stay with her dad and see if this is really what you want to do.
0: I, I, I would actually go with that same plan. That makes sense from a parent's point of view. Just finish the school year out. You're already in, you know, you'll have to go through changing and and take the summer, make sure. And then we'll do it, you know, at the beginning of the year.
1: Betty admitted something was bothering Teresa, but her mother just assumed the girl was homesick. Understandably so. I mean, you've moved her to a new town. She misses her friends. She doesn't like her new school. She's got very few friends in this town. So, you know, she just chalks it up to, yeah, she's homesick. Teresa did have a new boyfriend. He worked at the IGA, the grocery store in town. He told Teresa's parents he had not seen nor heard from her on the day that she went missing. Oh, she had a boyfriend? She did have a little boyfriend.
0: Oh, my God.
1: And I guess his father said a girl had called the house looking for him, but he didn't know for sure if it was Teresa or, like, a school friend. Right. Police began to consider she had been a uh, Police began to consider she had been abducted. They developed theories that she knew the person who had taken her because she was so shy, there was likely no way she would have gone with a stranger. Right. Her parents papered the town with flyers, hoping someone somewhere might know something about the girl. Her parents felt like the police were doing everything they could, but they were undermanned and had little resources. This tight-knit community was on edge because things like this just didn't happen in this rural Appalachian town.
0: Yeah, I mean, could you imagine posting missing flyers for your child?
1: No, I don't want to think about that.
0: Because I've done it for a pet, and that's sad. It gives me that's
1: a sad, lot of anxiety to even think about it.
0: Having a, I mean, I'm not equating kids with pets, but just not knowing where someone is or part of your household. And it, a pet, that disturbs me. My child? Mm. Oh my God, i would be out of my mind. I would be too. Holy shit. It's just
1: something I don't ever want to experience.
0: So damn scary. June 5th,
1: 1986, two residents of Laurel Creek, which is about 8 to 10 miles maybe outside of town and from her last location they, at the Seven Eleven where they knew she was, they went to fish for some minnows in this nearby stream. And while in the creek bed, one of the men stumbled upon a human skull partially submerged in water.
0: Oh, my God.
1: The two men contacted authorities who came out, sealed off the area. The location was heavily wooded and not easy to navigate. Authorities searched the area, finding the skull, and found more human bones, including a few clothing items. Several strands of bright red hair were also found. The West Virginia Medical Examiner's Office had to wait several days for some dental records to make it to their office, but it was confirmed to be Teresa. Authorities knew they had a homicide, but they would not publicly state what happened to the girl. They did say they felt the crime was sexually motivated. Nearly four months had passed since she had gone missing, yet the remains were mostly decomposed. She had been killed and placed in the creek very shortly after she went missing. The location was so remote, the police knew the person who put her body there had to be familiar with this area.
0: So that just accelerated the decomposition and everything from being in the water?
1: And they thought, some of the bones just being exposed where they found things had kind of maybe been moved around and they knew that animals had yeah, probably well, sure. moved some of the body parts.
0: Well, yeah, if it's heavily wooded and, yeah. and not, not traveled a lot, that's obviously going to be a lot of uh, animal activity there. But uh, And
1: just being exposed to the elements.
0: Yeah. And water is never good.
1: Right. Oh, my gosh. Police did have a clue they found at Laurel Creek. But initially they wouldn't release that information and they had a few suspects in the girl's disappearance and murder. The autopsy had given them some kind of evidence, but again they were being really hush hush about these details.
0: Well, that's that's good police work. You keep the the, you know, specifics about the crime and the location and things you've found and discovered close to your vest or you know, and then that way you can weed out when you start getting the tips and start digging this, you know, through this uh, as a case uh, comes together, you know, you can uh, you have someone who knows these facts that you've never released. Then, you know, there you go. You know, you've got someone who's involved.
1: But the investigation seemed to go nowhere. And as of 2019, which was the last updates I could find on the case, the investigation was cold as ever. Unsolved homicides are never totally closed, of course. There's always hope that, you know, something will come out of it.
0: Yeah, there's on the back burner.
1: Her father was interviewed multiple times and stated that he would never give up hope. But sadly, he died in 2014. In interviews, he questioned what his daughter might have done with her life and would he have grandchildren now. Uh. It's really sad. Reading interviews with this man, I mean, he definitely never gave up hope that they would figure out what happened to his daughter.
0: That is... So sad. It
1: was really heartbreaking.
0: I mean, it just points out that we talk about all the time, the closure, and just, it, it never makes it okay. And just, but just knowing, and getting, knowing what happened or why, I don't know. It's so, it's so, I couldn't even imagine all the emotions. Yeah. That's making me sad.
1: And then he passed away without, without ever, ever knowing. knowing what happened to her.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: Oddly enough, I did tell you this was like a two-part story. Right. So oddly enough, another woman in the town named Kathy Carroll, who worked as a finance administrator for the city of Montgomery, had helped print flyers for Teresa Woods. Oh, and okay. And had been very active in helping her family try to make flyers and get word out. I mean, she was, you know, they're probably really actively searching. Yeah. Was killed herself, not shortly. I mean, it was pretty shortly after all of this happened. Kathy Carroll was divorcing her husband, Robert Eugene Carroll. On the eve of the final divorce hearing, her daughter, 15-year-old Pam, had gotten off the school bus and walked into her house as usual. A masked man was standing in front of her bedroom closet. He had a gun pointing at the girl. Now, at first, the girl thought maybe it was some kind of prank. She was like, uh, is this a joke? I mean, what's going on? But soon realized the man had some pantyhose over his face, and a towel, and and had his head covered with, like, a baseball cap, so he was, like, trying to disguise himself, and that he was not a jokester. He hit the girl with a pistol, knocking her onto the bed. He taped her up with duct tape, put it on her eyes, mouth, around her head, you know, around her hair, just, like, wrapping the duct tape around her. The man told her, we're going to have some fun.
0: Oh, fuck me.
1: Then he sexually assaulted the girl.
0: Oh. Oh, my God.
1: Once her pants were off, he duct taped her feet and hands together. Then he asked if her parents were going to be coming home soon and if she had any money.
0: Yeah. Fuck you, dude. I'm not going to cooperate. Oh, my how scary.
1: He told the girl to be quiet when her mom got home at 430. <sighs> Kathy walked in the home and yelled, "You hoo sissy, I'm home.
0: Like she probably does it every day. She
1: walked through the house and into Pam's bedroom. She heard her mother say, Jean, don't do this. Stop. Don't do this. Pam tells her mom, it's not Jean. But she could hear the man hitting Kathy. Damn. Kathy pleaded with the man, offering him money. I have money. I can take you to my office and get you money. But he took Kathy across the hallway to her bedroom and taped her up as well. Pam could hear noises and a struggle, but she really didn't know what was going on. She's duct taped. She's tied up. At some point, the man came back into her bedroom. Pam asked him when he was going to leave and let her go. He said, after dark, when no one will see me leave. She thought he'd gone, and she was starting to sweat, and she sweated enough that she was able to, like, peel the tape off and free herself. She called out to her mother, but she heard nothing. When she walked in her mother's bedroom, she finds her mother in bed, nude, with powder on her face and body. She had died by strangulation. There was an electrical extension cord used to strangle her mother.
0: My God. Yeah. What a damn ordeal.
1: Very upset, obviously. This girl's freaking out, and she doesn't know if this guy's still in the house. She manages to, like, climb out a window and go to a neighbor's house and call police. Here's the deal. The Tuesday before the murder, police had been called to the Carroll home because Eugene Carroll had been there. He was under a restraining order for domestic violence and abusing Kathy. Eugene had threatened Kathy many times in front of Pam, including that he would blow up her car with a bomb. All so right. much so that when Kathy and Pam would go outside in the mornings to get in the car, Kathy would tell her to wait while she cranked the car up.
0: What Because the hell? she was afraid
1: this guy was going to blow up her car. Living in fear. He followed Kathy everywhere. He stalked her every move. On this particular Tuesday, Kathy wasn't home, and he had told Pam he would kill her mom. He would be out of town when it happened, saying things like, it'll be my word against yours if you tell people I came here. Well, this
0: guy sounds pretty horrible. In
1: 1985, shortly before this murder had happened, Eugene had taken out money from his company savings plan in the amount that was just under $5,000. It was like $4,919, something like that. He told Kathy on several occasions that he had enough money to have her killed.
0: Well, that's a pretty good chunk back then, if you know some asshole who's willing to kill someone, I guess. But
1: there was no way to prove what he did with that cash. In 2005, Eugene was finally arrested for hiring a man named Eddie Queen to murder Kathy. He spent two years in jail awaiting trial, but was acquitted in 2007 due to a lack of evidence. Witnesses had seen Eddie Queen and Eugene together weeks leading up to the murder, including several times on the day of Kathy's murder. They were seen together. Also, Kathy and Pam had a dog that was pretty vicious. It had actually bitten a couple of people. Okay. And they were speculating that someone who knew this family had to get control of this dog in order for this hitman to get in the house or this murderer to get ah, in the house. Okay. Okay. And neighbors were saying how they didn't recall
0: because the dog seeing was out of the, the equation.
1: dog for a period, and Pam said when she came home that yeah, the dog normally would be there to greet her, and the dog didn't greet her, so she thought that was very odd and Pam went on to testify at the trial that she believed Eddie Queen was the man who had tied her up, raped her, and the weird thing is she was friends with his daughter, so this was not a stranger to her
0: so is this uh,
1: Is this Eugene's daughter that was raped? It's his stepdaughter. He sent sent this monster to this house? Allegedly.
0: Possibly? Maybe. And she's raped and her mother killed? Yes. And brutalized? Yes. Jesus. Okay, I'm pissed now.
1: Two different witnesses came forward and were put on the stand at the trial, claiming that Eugene had offered them money to kill Kathy. Well, there you go. Eddie's murder charge was dropped after Eugene was acquitted. So, Kathy's case remains unsolved as well.
0: Wow. So, I mean, you got this happening in eighty, in the mid-80s. Yes. Yeah. And then all the way in 2005, they finally bring charges against him. Right. So, some grizzled, you know, or I always say grizzled, some investigators digging through cold files figured they put enough together to come at Eugene with the charges go to the prosecutor all that and uh they tried to get
1: him they did
0: and it sounds like he could have been the guy well,
1: responsible again i mean i understand well, I mean, I if there's not enough evidence to prove guilt
0: right? right
1: to prove beyond a reasonable doubt right but we've seen this time and time again a, you know, ex-husband, ex-partner, who is stalking, making threats, Yeah. and then mysteriously that person that he's threatening dies.
0: <laughs> yeah. I at mean, random. Yeah, I mean, I, it could happen in the realm of possibility. Some other person just happened to randomly kill them. You know, the person that you're actively stalking and threatening and terrorizing, honestly. I mean, if you're you're, it's a small area, small town. So, you know, she can't get away from this fucking guy. He's threatening her to the point where she makes her daughter wait and, not, you know, and starts the car because he's really got her thinking that he might do something that crazy is blow the damn car up. I mean, that's pretty extreme. Yeah. That's not just some cussing and a couple of uh, domestic, you know, uh, physical uh, domestic situations, which that's not cool either. But yeah, that's pretty damn extreme. She truly believes he'll do something like that. Because he's doing all his stuff and she's been close to this man.
1: Right. Well, you know, if he did hire someone to go in the house and kill Kathy, the fact that this person thinks it's okay to rape this 15-year-old girl and terrorize her in the process... Well,
0: he's just doing that uh, for fun. Just
1: out of spite. Or just to be fucking cruel. Or something
0: he does. He's a... um, that's not. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I see what you're saying. That's not even just a. Not that if he did hide and wait and kill her, shoot her and run away, that's bad. But he just had this opportunity. I'm. I've got. I'm here to do this anyway for this money. Kill her. But here's this young girl. Let me. Might as well. Might as well have some fun. Literally have some that's fun. Terrible. That's crazy.
1: I mean, whoever is responsible for this to fucking have their dick cut off.
0: And they, they <laughs> went, they, they're they out there.
1: They're out there somewhere.
0: And who else have they hurt and brutalized? Exactly. Oh my God. Who could do that
1: shit? So two unsolved cases in the same town. <sighs> in a very short period of time.
0: Connected in a strange way. Yeah. Not even that, maybe it's really connected. Maybe this piece of shit did something to that other little girl. It's gonna do something to that girl and kill that woman. Yeah. I'm totally speculating. Yeah, I don't
1: know. It's what be. happens with the
0: unsolved in my brain. It drives me crazy. I almost need the ending right. on my stories. I mean, I do it sometimes with the unsolved and it's interesting because you can speculate and you can kind of let your imagination run wild and and all that. But uh that's just horrible.
1: Well, you know, with these unsolved cases, I find them interesting, and I think it's important to tell the stories because even if we're not bringing justice to these families, you're at least telling their stories, and you're at least keeping the case active in someone's mind.
0: Well, yeah, there's uh, there's but, merit you know, to that.
1: With these cold cases, someone somewhere knows something.
0: They do, even if they don't realize they know and
1: it. And how? Do you hang on to a secret like that for so long?
0: I don't know. Some of the stories we've told of late, people get killed. They help the crazy-ass person who killed them go dispose of the body. They do all these things. They know uh, help, help someone kill your damn family member. I mean, it's just I don't get and and, and live with it. Yeah, I know i don't, I don't understand it, I don't understand uh the human mind is just uh it's amazing in a lot of ways, and it's just but it's scary in a lot of ways too
1: We're very complicated creatures
0: ah some of the shit people
1: do yeah, that's true i
0: I'm, I'm sad and pissed off, and I wish that son of a bitch I wish i could get my hands on someone like that or catch them doing something like that to a woman or a kid. I would kill them
1: okay dexter
0: well, That's not no dexter I'm, i i would i would he I want to have some fun with me, bitch.
1: Some vigilante justice. Oh, my
0: God. I could hurt them.
1: Well, you know, around here we have what we call mountain justice. You
0: better... Oh. <laughs> <sighs>
1: well, that was the story of Teresa Woods and also the murder and unsolved case of Kathy Carroll.
0: And the brutalization of her daughter.
1: Both out of West Virginia.
0: Damn. We get some dark stories out of West Virginia. We do. Yeah, we do.
1: We definitely do. If oh listening, gosh. we're going to have some more true crime cases coming your way. Hopefully, some things you've maybe never heard before. Yeah. I mean, these are two fresh stories I wasn't aware of.
0: That's what you do.
1: All right. You guys have a great afternoon or evening or morning, whatever time of day it
0: is. <laughs> Bye, y'all.
1: Big Mac, Chicken McNuggets. No, Big Mac and Quarter Pounder with cheese. Or filet fish
0: With MyHealthPolicy.com, I could go online and compare Medicare Advantage plans from some top-rated national insurers, including $0 monthly premium plans. I can learn about plans in my area and talk with a licensed insurance agent if needed. MyHealthPolicy.com has made doing my research a whole lot easier.
1: My choice. My Medicare. MyHealthPolicy.com.